0: Welcome to What is Your Bitcoin Story? podcast with your host, Gigi. This is a podcast where we explore the fascinating world of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency through the personal experiences and stories of those who have taken the dive down the rabbit hole. We explore Bitcoin stories with a diverse range of guests, from early adopters, miners, maximalists, and traders. So join us on this exciting journey of past, present, and future
1: Bitcoin, one story at a time. The nature of Bitcoin is such that once version 0.1 was released, the core design was set in stone for the rest of its lifetime. Satoshi Nakamoto. Welcome everyone to what is your Bitcoin story. This is a podcast where Gigi and myself discuss different Bitcoin stories with different individuals. There's always volatility, there's always emotions, and there's always a rabbit hole involved and we just love a good story. So with that, my co-host and guest for the Bitcoin Genesis episode, part one. Is Gigi himself, Gigi? Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm
0: happy to be here and and making this happen, bringing it to the real life from our ideas to the real thing.
1: Excellent. First of many. So, Gigi, let's before we dive into the actual chain of events that led to you getting your first piece of Bitcoin or whatever coin it might have been. What where were you what were you doing when you were seeing for the first time you were hearing bitcoin what were you thinking about it yeah that if we go right back to the start taking
0: it to the beginnings that was during the time i was living in london so in in the spring of 2013 once bitcoin had its first well pump i remember very closely how a few friends on facebook were talking who were early techie geeky guys exploring the space were mining it off their laptops and then suddenly this bitcoin went from a few dollars going to 100 to 200 to peaking at 250 dollars it certainly came across the radar but back in 2013 i was in a different place in life with different priorities and finance was was important but it wasn't the core thing to me it was more kind of getting the experience and living
1: life as we call it right when we're young was there anything though that did it pique your interest what was did you think scam first thing what was the first thing you thought no there
0: was no scam it was fascination how can a digital code be worth so much in such a short period of time because it's been back then it was four years it is and it just sounded a little bit surreal and usually you know how it goes if something's too good to be true it, it, <laughs> yeah. it usually isn't so i took it with skepticism yes. but definitely ponzi wasn't something to it actually the whole term ponzi i arrived later on in crypto space before Later on, I never came across Ponzi, so I was just skeptical about yes, this new technology. Yeah.
1: And like all of us, I guess, we only heard about Bitcoin. We didn't hear about anything else. That's correct. And perhaps some obscure shop in Japan that you could buy them from.
0: Yeah. And then a little bit bigger shop called MT Gox where everybody went to, right? And so the next, I would say, episode after 2013 was in the beginning of 2014. Whereas, you very well know that the MT Gox episode, but for the listeners who, who are fairly new to Bitcoin, MT Gox just to refresh you back in early 2014, was controlling around 70% of all Bitcoin trades that were happening yes. online. And then suddenly their cold wallet was slowly being drained over a period of time. And in early January, the executive team realized, oh my God, all the Bitcoin's gone. We got FTX. We got <laughs> FTX. It was the pre-FTX. That's right. Yeah, that's right and ever since then i went into bankruptcy and then it was a bad period of what is this is it real is it not and you're seeing this from the sidelines right you're correct that was no skin in the game i was the pure observer on the side reading, really, really reading the headlines and then i believe that the real kind of breaking point for me was in mid 2017 so that was yet another few years later in life where i found myself working in the financial markets and being more knowing how really money works and not really liking it. And then once Bitcoin once again came back, and of course, we remember the 2017 with the 1,000, 2,000. Yes. Basically close to 20,000. That was everybody was talking about Bitcoin. 17 definitely looped in a lot of, a very big amount of participants. It was like a wrecking ball towards the masses of, look, there's a big thing coming. You better look into it. Yet at the same time, looking more into it, I realized that Bitcoin is much more than just Monetary value where you can exchange something with someone else. It's the actual self sovereignty and having your own freedom within this asset. And not just that, but by learning about Bitcoin, you learn about history. You learn about, and history, I mean by banking, civilization. And also to me, which I like to think I'm a very, well, pretty much spiritual person. And to me, there's a lot of spiritual aspects to it that I relate closely. And the more I learn about it and the more kind of you dig into the numbers, it really looks like the ideal. Monetary system that we never ever had because the fiat system that we had for centuries, essentially all fiat goes to zero. Yes, it was really a paradox of having a limited resource that over time will inflate. And of course, if we go back to the early days, as we were mentioning here, in the early days when people were mining Bitcoin of their laptop, they didn't think one day they're gonna go to twenty thousand, fifty thousand, no, whereas one day a million dollars, they were like, oh, it's just a digital f- token. Yeah. And imagine how many millions, no, imagine, but like we speculate, there's 4 million Bitcoins that were lost from the early days. Yes. So this 21 million, which is really super limited, is then cut away to 15, 16 million of actual like accessible Bitcoins. And that blows my mind because we're what, 8 billion people. It
1: definitely, for many people, I feel like the 18 crew, the people that got in the 18, 19 are different, but Mm. everyone that got in... 16, 17, definitely 13. They, first of all, the earlier you got in, the more you focus on privacy. You see the people, the participants that entered in 2019 care very little about privacy. The 17 crew did. But the other thing that it does, I think, to just about everyone, irrelevant of which part of the market cycle you got in or which cycle you got in, is it really makes you think about what monetary value is. Mm. and what it means to be able to send to another participant and what it means to have somebody, especially now with banking in many countries, it's become very difficult to to send money. For example, Twitch streamers find it difficult to get paid because it's Mm -hmm. seen as a a high-risk activity. Meanwhile, they're literally playing video games online. So the freedom Mm. is definitely a, a big rabbit hole. So you were working in the financial industry, yeah, you were, from what I understand, you started doing some research for the financial industry to crypto, and then what led to you actually getting skin in the game and actually putting some money in this and controlling your own keys? Hmm. So it, it took a few steps actually. So to be fully
0: transparent as we like to be, my first coin actually wasn't Bitcoin, even though it was the one that opened this floodgate to me. Working in the financial sector back then in in the late 2017 there was a certain called controversial token xrp yes which was to a lot of people actually like myself the first token that they got because it, it was my second there you go right <laughs> if it's not the first is the second but i mean it was looking at the le- legitimacy aspect yeah. The story they're marketing of this is a token for banks to use for international settlement. It was like a no-brainer. If the banks are really going to use it, you want to be an earner. And our headline is like, banks in Japan. Yeah. Testing, cross, I don't know, payment cross loans and this, that, and yeah, and But I didn't actually buy it. So my first XRP, how I got it, was through a, through an OTC deal. There was certain individual that wanted to buy X amount of them. Um, and by me connecting the dots between the people I can make it happen. I got a, a let's say a small application. Yeah. And then I remember this, This like yesterday, there was an opportunity. So my first kind of how my first real opportunity to acquire Bitcoin was in December of 2017, when I had these few little XRP stored on my blockfolio and I'm in the kitchen in the morning, making my coffee and i open up the blockfolio. And suddenly the token is at three and a half dollars. And I was on the way up. You're right. It was on that peak. It was December. And the price that we got on it out was around the 15, 16 cents. Wow! And I'm in If you're over the Blockfolio app, you had like your dollar evaluation, and then you also had in brackets the Bitcoin equivalent. Yes. Yeah. And I remember it was just over three and a half Bitcoin. And I was like, oh wow! I was like, oh, if I do this little switch, like right now, <laughs> tap tap two buttons, I have three and a half Bitcoin. Yes. But the reason I didn't do it was not greed, it was simply when I entered the Space in 2017, I realized this is a marathon, this is a long-term game, this is not I'm gonna put hundred bucks today and cash out in a month. I was more looking at keeping at least two years, my holdings, acquiring tokens, and like selling them at the right point. That was a very dumb idea.
1: It was a good experience, but if it's your first time seeing this. Mm. It's difficult to know, right? To make the right decision. You're so new to it. You're so new to it. You want to do the right thing. You want to do the right thing. You Mm. want to think like in a long-term investment portfolio in which coin will be going well, you have very little information just about how scammy many individuals are behind these thousands of ICOs and tokens Mm. and XRP that were launched. But in retrospect, you realize that in difference from the traditional finance markets that The crypto bull markets are very brutal and they're very rapid. And the bear market is a slow, long, painful bleed down. It's exactly the opposite. Cold winters. Yeah. It's exactly the opposite. If you overlay the S and P or the NASDAQ, right? The bull markets are slow and, and long and not as rapid and not as volatile, but the bear markets are brutal and fast. And So with that in mind, you need one cycle, two cycles to really Unless you're coming from a professional trading background. Yeah. Okay. So you don't change it into Bitcoin, but you sent it to your Blockfolio. So Blockfolio, it it was an external software wallet at the time, right? Yeah. Now, obviously, they had connected and become an exchange partner. So you didn't send it to an exchange. You grasped the idea of your fees. Sorry, no.
0: I No, it was held on an exchange. The Blockfolio was just you could... Type in your portfolio, they'll frack it. You're right. The early days yeah, This was I don't think you had the wallets back then. It was the early just tracking yeah.
1: before they got quiet because they got further some big still. Yeah. yeah, yeah in the yeah, yeah. credit line. And what leads to you perhaps taking out of the exchange or grasping your own hmm. keys and starting to understand private keys and public keys? That that happened a few
0: months later, so early 2018. Yeah. I had my first trip to Malta. And Malta back then was very progressive on Bitcoin and tried to be actually named Bitcoin Island, not Crypto Island, but Bitcoin Island. And I met some very interesting individuals back then, which told me early on that crypto and Bitcoin are two different things and Bitcoin and blockchain are two different things. And it took me about four, four solid years to click that in. In the beginning, I didn't get it. But the more these guys were telling me, and these guys have been in the space, like from the early 2011, 12, 13. So they've been through, as what you mentioned, these long bear markets, and they've seen the altcoins pop up and die. And would you say they were Bitcoin maxis? Bitcoin maxi, the, the infamous term, yes, I'm also, I don't look at big, Bitcoin maxi as a bad term, maybe some people think of it as this aggressor, but yeah. a Bitcoin maxi, I also consider myself, let's say to a certain extent, a Bitcoin maximalist, because to me, it's just Bitcoin, there is no second yeah. second alternative, even to me, Ethereum, there's, the whole DeFi saga is held on Ethereum, on this one world computer machine, as they got it, yeah. I never bought into it, and I don't think I ever will because it's once again, I don't see the difference between Ethereum and a bank that just prints money. There is infinite supply. And all this merge that happened, I think this is only just yet more marketing and further stretching out this thing that they have to hold it for some time. But I think in the... They have, with-
1: what they have is the first mover advantage with the smart side facts. Okay, yeah. there was a lot of talk, you remember, to do side chains on Bitcoin, and it never really got to the level of Ethereum. And in 2017, I was thinking the same thing because the value of Ethereum keeps going up because everybody keeps buying Ethereum to keep putting it into ICOs, baking. Sorry, baking it into virtual. You're buying an air token to put it into an air place. Quantinomics. The smart contracts are interesting, but you cannot compare that. Let's call it money hardness, correct? To
0: Bitcoin, I would even argue smart contracts aren't even smart end contracts. They're simply a computer action. And what's so smart about them? You still need the human to, to program it all in. I mean, there's automatic. It's the but programmability. Yeah, it's the programmability that. But the proof of work, this is the big thing. So maybe we can touch upon a little bit of proof of work. Because I think that's a very important piece yeah. that I need to understand. Because especially today in the media, when you
1: hear proof of work, it's like killing the planet, so much energy being. How would you explain into somebody that has no idea, it's just found out about Bitcoin five minutes ago, and hears about this proof of work? So proof of work that the concept of proof of work is that you actually need to use physical
0: energy to create an alternative asset, from this coin, a Bitcoin. So you need all this energy, mining power, mm. and hardware to actually mine the operation to ma- mine the mathematical equation for the next block. And as we progress, and as there's more miners coming on, don't quote, don't like my words, but we're currently at the hash rate. So the The power that's required to mine Bitcoin, it's a 250TW, whatever alphabetical. It's ridiculous. It's it's a parabolic graph. And the only thing that symbolizes is that there's more and more people going out to mine it. And to keep it simple in layman terms to someone that's new to proof of work, it's essentially it's the most resilient system to being manipulated or put down. Like Essentially, at the moment, it's impossible for any government or any group to actually go ahead. And close down the Bitcoin network, and that's all because of virtual work. Because you need to find the last node standing, switch it off physically, pull out the plug at the wall socket.
1: And I don't think that's possible. There's we can check online. So yeah, we let how about back check. So the fifty-one percent attack, right? If you can control fifty-one percent of the hash rate, you can attack Bitcoin. And yeah, but what would be that edge requirement? So right now, this is just off Google. I don't know how live this is, but. There's a website called quickload51.app. And the one-hour attack cost is $660,000. So that's just for one hour. If you remember with Ethereum and Ethereum Classic after the DAO that was going on for days, so you're looking at definitely many millions of many million dollars, which is, it sounds like it's low. It sounds like it's low, but I don't think it's that simple because you remember we had the fork with the Bitcoin and Bitcoin cash. And yeah, we had the mining wars. A proof of work is something that I think it's good to understand because it proves. That what you have is valuable in difference from a dollar, right? A dollar is valuable because everybody right. uses it. Maybe the trust factor, it's the trust factor, but the Bitcoin knows the difference
0: between the dollar's trust factor and the Bitcoin's power. If you're holding real digital
1: energy that was transformed from the physical world into the digital realm. Absolutely. That's mind blowing. That's actually one of the first concepts that really got me. And unlike a currency and like a fiat currency is you can still not vote for monetary policy, All right. Just like you can, so you can vote for the president of the United States citizen, and he'll be there for the next five years if he makes it. But the people that are in Washington can outsee see them and outlast them because they elect themselves among mm-hmm. themselves and. Really, that's the biggest position of power in the universe, if you ask me, because they can dilute the dollar at will. There's people that owe money with countries that own all the credit and debt is settled in dollars. That's just how it works. But with Bitcoin from day one, this is the algorithm. This is how many Bitcoin are going to be generated. This is how they're generated. This is how miners are rewarded. This is how blocks are cleared. And that transparency, frankly, is... For everybody, sorry for interrupting, but
0: for everybody, for every- like your janitor can be checking out yeah, all of your transactions, yeah. which is amazing, Trust. which is very powerful in the way for humanity and freedom and prosperity, mm. but it's very against the people who
1: are looking to hide and conspire and do yes. business because suddenly it's wow. On both sides, people that are doing dirty business, illegal business, and people that are High-level white-collar criminals, which you may be in positions of power. Look at this. It's actually a bit of a joke. This woman in Greece that they found with $1.5 million, Emma Kaini. Uh, yeah. And yeah, she was a very big proponent of, of blockchain technology. Of, of, yeah, in Europe, I don't know. Yeah, yeah she was the face of, of blockchain in the European Parliament. But coming playing back to you and your journey down the rabbit hole, you get your XRP, you start appreciating, you start digging, like many people, after you have some skin in the game, you want to find out more about it. You start appreciating the fact that there is a public ledger, you understand the value of, of Bitcoin. When did you take it off and put it on your wallet and understand, okay, an exchange is an exchange and it's a great place, but when I have all keys, that's really how you should be handling Bitcoin. That's really the power that it gives you. So that happened then, I <clears> will <throat> say a year
0: later. So for my birthday, 18th of December,
1: or mm. disclosing some
0: dates there. But I got a gift, I got my first ledger, my, my first cold wallet, right. The ledger in Nano West that the OG one from a good IT friend of mine. And that was the moment when I realized, Hey, maybe I shouldn't just be keeping everything and trusting in exchange. Uh, but really, as you said, taking control, keeping my keys and at the same things we go, not your keys like your coins, right? Yes. And, and that was essentially the moment that I... Or if, but, you're, if you're Sam, not your exchange. Whichever flavor, whichever flavor you prefer. But yeah, that was the moment that I switched everything out. And since that day, whenever I buy something on an exchange, it's in and out shop. Like I, I come in, I also my fiat, soon as it lands, bam, I put in my order, or I buy it at that point. and withdraw George straight away. I don't really trust anyone, including at the moment with all the saga with Binance what's going to happen, biggest exchange in the world. But if you ask me, I don't want to go off topic, but Bitcoin doesn't need Binance. It's going to be tough and if Binance goes down, a lot of people will be hurt. Same time, Bitcoin's going to be at a super discount, so you better be buying the dip. But in the long run, Bitcoin is going to find its own way with Binance or without or any exchange. And to be honest, in the future, I really see where the real exchange between most Bitcoin is happening peer-to-peer, which was first paragraph of the white paper, peer-to-peer cash, which then people said, oh, it's too expensive fees, this, that. But with different layers, and we can get into this at some other point, but with layer two with Lightning, essentially Bitcoin is the best payment and the fastest thing, and the most is proofable. Forget all this alternative, pay this, pay X, pay that. I mean, there's a lot of things that we could grow on
1: now. Yeah, grow on that. So it sounds like you have a long-term time frame. You're not in it for the quick ride. Obviously, you've been in it for a while now. I just want to end with Perhaps three closing thoughts or comments or even questions for the audience, something that stood out in your journey, something that you want to leave the audience with. So I think the most important thing once you enter and discover
0: or are discovering the potential of Bitcoin, the best advice that I could give you is to go ahead and set up your own Bitcoin node. To fully see and download all the blocks from the first oil Genesis one in 2009, It'll take you a few days, but after that's done, it's in today's world. It takes from about 200 bucks, 250 bucks for the whole setup. And you have the full control of the whole history of Bitcoin. You don't have to trust. No, even with ledger, which I gave an example by transacting on the ledger, I'm transacting through their Bitcoin node, whichever node they're connected to. And if that node goes down, what could, what, what uses this little ledger, not trying to bash any any cold wallets. But if you really want to be self sovereign and have the full freedom, set up your own node. And by setting up your own node, like I have myself, I-, I keep discovering new things and going deeper and deeper. Cause you really then have hands-on and you, and trust me, you don't have to be a programmer. I'm not the tech savvy somebody can watch a YouTube video and do this on their own. Correct. I, I learned most of the stuff from YouTube myself. And there's so many Reddit forums forums and with current, the user friendliness that the UX being so simple, like. A 10-year-old can set it up. So I would leave everyone on the final thought of looking into further setting up their own node. And once you have your own node, then you're fully essentially off the grid. And you can even go under the grid by running in the, on the Tor server. So your IP is essentially untrackable. And then bringing back privacy, you are the most private. You can be yes.
1: yeah. Amazing. So look into running your own node. It's cheap. It's technically very easy. You can watch a couple of YouTube videos and you trust yourself, then ver- So you don't trust anyone, you verify yourself. And finally, because people might be worried about this, you're not mining, you're going to no. be using almost zero energy, it's like a US. You're just keeping your own ledger of every block that's being added to, to the Bitcoin blockchain.
0: All
1: right, Gigi, thank you very much. We will catch you on the next thank one. Yo, thank you. Thanks everyone for listening in and looking forward to the next one. What's your Bitcoin story?
0: What's oh, your Bitcoin story. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Remember to subscribe as new episodes are released every Thursday. And do make sure to share the episode with friends and family. For more valuable Bitcoin resources, do visit our website at whatisyourbitcoinstory.com. Keep stacking sats, stay safe, and let's orange kill the world one episode at a time.